Book Club. This is episode 19, in which we're discussing what we read over our Christmas vacation. I'm Jen Bozier. And I'm Carrie Honey. And this is Warhammer 40k Book Club, where we read from a crag. Every episode, we discuss a book, or books in this case, that we've selected from the Black Library's Warhammer 40,000 catalog. Generally, we post the book on our website, wh40kbookclub.com, along with questions to ponder during reading. Listeners are able to read the book, then tune in to hear our discussion. We encourage participation through the Twitter, the site, or Encrypted Vox channel. Spoiler warning, we're going to be talking about four separate books tonight, so we'll announce them before we start talking about them. If you haven't read the book yet, maybe go ahead and check out the book before coming in and hearing our discussion. We're going to try to keep our discussions around 10 to 15 minutes per book, so feel free to skip ahead if we're talking about something you haven't yet read. As mentioned, this episode, we're discussing what we read over our Christmas vacation. Carrie, do you want to kick us off and tell us what the first book you read was? Okay, well, just to start out by saying the first book I intended to read. So the first book I intended to read is Darius Hinks' uh, Mephiston, Blood of Sanguinius. And then I opened it. And on the inside cover, it has read it first, which usually I'm just like, okay, whatever. But no, it's a David Annandale book, Mephiston, Lord of Death. Well, it says read it first. So I was like, well, okay. So the Black I... Library wouldn't lead you wrong. Sure. <laughs> You're right. Um, although it's funny because of the last, was it in the back? Get right back here read it first <laughs> like well those are in the back so but i've already read dante that's true yeah but anyway um <clears throat> so i i love david annadale so that was like a no-brainer and it was like some mm -hmm. some author i didn't like or whatever i might have looked up a synopsis but it's david annadale so i went on ahead and picked it up on my kindle because it is no longer available in paperback form and mm -hmm. well, it was never available in paperback it was only available in a limited edition hardback because it's a novella oh, interesting and i could find it for two hundred dollars i don't love him that much you don't love the Euros trash space vampires that I much? I don't love them or David Annandale that much. So I paid $9.99 on my Kindle. <laughs> and uh, so I got the novella of Mephiston, Lord of Death. And I'm kind of glad I, I read that one first because this kind of goes more into Mephiston's background. And this was an interesting book in that, because um, we, we already know, if you read any Blood Angels book, although I'm not sure if they brought it up in um, Devastation of Ball or not, but Mephiston was originally a Blood Angel named Calisterius. Mm -hmm. And the only thing you know about him is that he suffered the Black Rage, but then came out of it and he was reborn as Mephiston. That's all we know. He doesn't even know. He doesn't understand. And it's a, it's a very interesting... Uh, how he feels about Calisterius because he still has people who knew him as Calisterius who every now and then will call him that but he'll even say I'm not Calisterius I just have the man's uh memories well and his body and his body but he just uh, Hello. right you know blood angel's gonna blood angel all right it doesn't have to make sense it's no the blood angels that's right so I know I wrote about this on the website too but the big thing about this book is that the blood angels they, um, they're hot in pursuit of this uh, beacon that they heard, and they found this warp storm and the ship that has been missing since Armageddon. 
appears. It's been a spell. <laughs> Things have happened. <laughs> but the word. Can you imagine having to find those guys and be like, so? Few things have happened. Like, it's a little bit less than the guys in Ashes of Prospero, but. Yes. Not well, by yes. a whole lot. But it's still been a few thousand years. Mm-hmm. Um, which makes you wonder, like, really how old Mephiston is. I mean, maybe he's older than Dante, since, you know, technically Calisterius was in Armageddon. Anyway. Right. Which is when he fell to the Black Rage. Mm-hmm. But uh, the word, there's a war band of word bearers who are calling themselves the Sanctified. Because that actually sounds like a very word bearer thing to... It does, actually. Yeah. Very so on point. So they're after this ship, and they don't know what's on the ship. Like, it could be evil. They don't know anything about it, but they're like, well, the word bearers are not going to get it. So they go and attack, and there's only one person survive, surviving on that ship, and it's a man named Corinus. And as Mephiston walks up to him, because the whole, cool thing about it is that it's actually told from Mephiston's point of view. It's in first person oh. Mephiston's point of view, which we actually usually don't get for some of the main characters. Like, you know, like, for example, like the Primark books, we normally get those told from another person, from their right. perspective. But this is actually from Mephiston's perspective. And it has, a, when, he, when he walks up, he's like, so he, so I see this man and he and I both look like we've met or met a ghost. As I say, Corinus, and he goes Calisterius. Because they're so you find out these two were best friends. Oh uh, no! Back in the day, um, um, Corinus became a chaplain when uh, Calisterius became a librarian. So they were like, mm-hmm. you know, the best of pals. And Corinus was there when Calisterius fell to the Black Rage, and he had to take him to the Death Company, and that was the last he saw of him. He figured. That that would be it. Well, Mephiston just figured whenever he woke up, like anyone that Calisterius knew either was, was already with him or they were dead. I mean, the ship has been missing for how many thousands of years? They right. were dead. But Ooh. Corinna's like, I'm so glad I was able to find all of you, although he's not happy to see Calisterius. <laughs> he's not, I mean, not at all. Like, he calls him a revenant. Um, like, he's, he's not a little worth, harsh. Not worthy to be a blood angel mm-hmm. because he's defeated black rage and he's like it's like what is it to be a blood angel without the black rage and i'm like well i don't know all the guys in the 31st were just fine without the black rage they had the they had the red thirst that sanguinius did not understand that was probably my favorite thing i've learned was a sanguinius like why do they do this um and he doesn't even have really the red thirst anymore um it's kind of there but not like he gets bloodless, but it's not really the red thirst. Like, he doesn't get into right. that maddened state. Um, but Corinna's like, I'm so glad you guys are here. Well, not you, but the rest of you guys are here because I've had this vision that there's something I need to go to on this one planet. And they're like, well, we're kind of going there anyway because there's a bunch of warp storms trying to figure out what the Sanctified are doing. Mm-hmm. They get down there, and all the time Mephiston is questioning everything. It's like, we're preserving this frozen field of bodies, but so are they. Isn't that mm-hmm. weird? And why is there this spire that you insist we have to go to this tower that is made of, like, weapons melded together? But they're trying to protect the tower, too. Like, normally we don't have the same goals in mind. Yeah. And they get in there, and there is this giant, they call perfect statue of Sanguinius at the moment of his death. Like per- and they're talking about you know how beautiful it is, the, all the light. Who built that? 
all the light, I'll get to that, all the light coming from it. And the, all of them, except for Mephiston, although he talks about how he struggles, fall down to their knees mm-hmm. and worship. As Mephiston says, he's like, I have seen these false idols and false gods before. I was like, okay, I don't care if this is not accurate, but that's a reference to James Swallow and you're never going to tell me otherwise. Because that was like the whole thing with the, that first omnibus. And he's just like kind of being skeptical, which immediately Quinnerus is like, see, you're not one of us. You're not immediately bowing down. He's just like, no, I've just kind of seen some shit. <laughs> if anybody can use that phrase, it's it's Mephiston. I mean, it's like, you know, and he's telling his captains, like, we've seen this before. I think we need to be careful. And he's just like, I don't understand why you're not seeing the, be- the beauty of Sanguinius's light. Mm-hmm. Well, it comes out this was all a ploy. Who of course it was. that coming? Not I. Right. For the sanctified to summon a greater demon. Mm-hmm. And Mephiston, he finally breaks away from Quirinius and destroys the statue because he figures out why the statue is so perfect. Because it's a memory. It's a memory frozen in time from someone who witnessed it. Oh, well, interesting. Well, who witnessed it? Besides, you know, Horus and the emperor and a few others. Well, a demon was there. Of course. It. And when Mephiston destroyed the statue... That was the final piece of what the demon needed to come into the materium. And so basically, basically Mephiston's just like, I can I almost even feel like, I can't win. Like, no matter what we do. Like, the, mm-hmm. only, the only way to have won this was not to play. Essentially. Right. <laughs> Hashtag quote, war games. I, thank you. I was about to say in reference to, but you got that. Um, the sad part about it was Corinius. He's so distraught over Mephiston destroying the statue. He starts to succumb to the black rage. So the apothecaries, they knock him out. Because mm-hmm. usually that'll stop it before it gets too far. But then when he comes to, he's still fighting against it. And Mephiston gets up to him. He's like, you can fight this. Like, you don't have to go to the edge. And he looks right at him. Quirinus looks right at him. And he said, I'd rather go to the black rage than be near you. That's and, way harsh, Ty. And then, <laughs> thank you, Clueless. Um, so Mephiston, Ooh. he says how he's disgusted by his weakness and turns his back on him. And then they just march him into the, into the death company. But it's at that moment, but because the Korean is like constantly questioning him and bad, badgering him, um, he starts to really wonder like who he is. Like what, right. what am I? The question we all ask when we turn around 13. <laughs> Who am <That's> I? <laughs> all I can think of is the uh, the Pete Holmes uh, Wolverine. Where did I come from? No one gives a hot shit. <laughs> Some people do give a hot shit with Mephiston. Well, the thing about Mephiston is that he actually wants to know how he got mm-hmm. past the Black Rage because he wants to know if Good it question. can be passed on to other people they can learn it right so we don't so that they don't have to have the death companies anymore because they talk about they mentioned this also in devastation of ball about how the chapter is constantly fighting to survive because right. of the black rage especially mm-hmm. when they get to areas where suddenly whole uh companies or, or whole squadrons i should say succumb right because like you know demon fuckery and so did you like the book overall? I did. I did. It was a nice little background 
I guess a, a bit to Mephiston because we all knew he was Calisterius, but you got to see some memories of who he was before because he would have some flashbacks. So it was. So what was his voice like though? Since again, as you said, we don't really get to see him in first person very often. Bitter. <laughs> he's just. I mean, he's a he's very calm. Mm-hmm. Very calm. Very guarded. Constantly checking his emotions. But he thinks less of a lot of things. Um, right. Very cold and calculating. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he's like, no, it's like I would do anything for my chapter. But, he's, but he also knows that he has to kind of keep things back. You know, he's almost kind of like what uh, Magnus would have been if Magnus kept himself in check. Like he wants to know everything, but he knows when to stop looking over, over right. the edge. So are you glad you read it, though? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, and it really did prep me for um, Darius Hink's book. And would you recommend it to our listeners? The David Annandale book? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I, one, because it's David Annandale. And um, that was the other thing I loved about it was this is the first book I have ever read of his that does not have orcs. That can't be accurate. It is. Oh, f- that you've read. That I've read. I was like, no, I'm pretty sure he has books that don't have orcs in them. I'm following along. So, I mean, I, I had to look to see if he's read any short stories. If he's read, mm-hmm. if he's written any short stories that, that I've read. But, you know, the big books. So, Reboot Gulliman, that had the orcs. Um, so good. Yeah. And uh, you want a really good orc battle, then you need to read his Grey Knights book, Sons of Titan. Have you read his, this won't help your orc problem, but have you read his Yarrick? series no i have not it's been recommended by so many people oh it's so good it is i would argue it's annandale at his absolute best and at his orkiest his orkiest well he knows how to write them he does he's one of those who really knows how to take the orcs and explain that yes they're kind of funny but they are horrifying at the same time like the way he writes them I'm just imagine, you know, I can almost envision like this rolling tide of this green mm-hmm. horde. Right. Just coming, almost like army ants just kind of coming right. through and destroying everything in its path. Mm-hmm. Well, he has, so he has the short story that he, his, the first story that he came out with within that Yarrick series is where he, uh, where Yarrick, with the most infamous meeting for Yarrick is when he meets, uh, oh God, I can't remember how to say it. It's Gazkul uh, Urthraka. And um Is that an orc? It's an orc. He's an orc warlord. And it's terrifying because he's torturing Yark the whole time and Yark keeps trying to escape and they keep gathering him back and torturing him. And then finally he comes face to face with Thraka. And Thraka says to him in perfect high gothic, You are my greatest enemy. It is so that so, good. so that pretty much talks about how long he's been alive. It's so good. It's so awesome. So I highly recommend the whole series because it's just, you'd love it. Yeah, let me just but, stack that on my pile. With all your free time. <laughs> maybe but, so after was this the a worthy heresy. distraction? Was this a worthy distraction? I think so. Yes. Of course, but what made that... Uh, Watch me read a Sons of Hydra later and be like, yeah, but I should have read that. But at the same time, I probably would have read this eventually anyway. And it did it cure your blood angels rage, thirst, your blood, blood angels thirst. There we go. That's just gross. 
Why you gotta make it gross? Because she... Anyways. Bloodthirst. Like, no. Like, let's not talk about that I'm... Looks like I'm drinking wine. Or... <laughs> is it Vitae? It is not Vitae. Okay. Vitae from Colorado. Okay, so... Anyways. I think it was when I was reading Dante. Mm-hmm. Because that book goes through, like, when he was Lewis out on the plains to becoming um, mm-hmm. a blood angel. And it talks about, you know, when they came out of their, their sarcophagus, you know, they don't, they're given food and none of them want to eat any of the food. So they give them um, raw meat mixed with blood and some vitae. And I'm like, I cannot take this word vitae anymore. It nearly broke me in the devastation of all. <laughs> it's like, I'm just going to go ahead and assume if they're drinking something out of a cup, it's vitae. I'm just going to assume that. Um, Mix it in with so, our sack. I mean, oh God. <laughs> awesome. So you're, so we will, since we're doing distractions, um, and we'll get, we'll talk about our digital distractions that we did first. My distraction this Christmas, I was going to read, everybody probably remembers it was going to be all Josh Reynolds all the time. I was going to read Cal Jericho and then I was going to read Dark Harvest. And I got to the end of Cal Jericho and I was like, so this Necromunda stuff is really fun. Um, I made a joke in my review, which publishes on Monday, that uh, when you crack open the cover to this book, Crockett's theme starts playing. It's like, it is so much over the top 80s. Necromunda is a setting. I love it. So I instead decided to go and read the Underhive anthology, which came out, I think, earlier this year. It has short stories from Mike Brooks, Rachel Harris, Darius Hanks, Josh Reynolds, Guy Haley, Robbie McNiven, Nick Keim. Did I already say Darius Hinks? Yeah, you did. Yes. And uh, and I already said Josh Reynolds. Anyways, like a lot of my favorite authors. Oh and my it was God. A, That's like who's who right there. Pretty much. It was a murderer's row. And while some of the stories aren't as good as others, it's, it just, it's just fun. It, it's not in the Mad Max. I want to make it clear that I'm not comparing it directly to Mad Max, but just if you've seen... Uh, Beyond Thunderdome, particularly, and uh, Fury Road, just that sense of just, this is so over the top, the action, it, and just the setting is so ridiculous that it kind of goes around the horn to being awesome. Really loved it, plowed through it. Short stories are pretty easy to read. Mm-hmm. My I favorite agree. short story of the bunch was, of course, Scar Crossed by Nick Kime. She texted me about this. I was squeeing like an idiot because (laughs) on one hand, I want to make it clear that it is, it's like Velveeta in terms of cheesiness. (laughs) So it's like not even real cheese. Okay, well then. It's so cheesy, it's not even real. (laughs) No, fine. Then it's like getting triple cheese at your pizza place because mozzarella strings like crazy. Um, It is so cheesy. It is a retelling of Romeo and Juliet in the Underhive. A Goliath ganger named Rom falls in love with... Rom. Rom falls in love with, I think, their house Escher. The clan's name is uh, the Razor Queens. They, Her name is Yuli. Oh. And basically there's a bunch of plays on Romeo and Juliet names. And the story ends with, with a kiss, I do die. <laughs> On one hand, was it cheesy and over the top? Uh, Yeah. But on the other hand, I loved it. 
I've always joked that we have a horror line. We're getting a detective line. We need a romance line in Warhammer 40k, guys. Um, this is so good. It was it was it was Harlequin levels, which I think I've mentioned on this podcast. I have a secret love of cheesy romance novels, but the thing that was so good about it was that it fits and it makes sense fight me if you disagree <laughs> um reading the book because it's like all this violence and drug deals and assassinations and bounty hunting and then all of a sudden and of course the story ends in a very warhammer 40k way with juliet deciding to kill romeo because you know she found a better deal um <laughs> and then, and then killing deal. the better deal too so all right yeah. Yeah, it was the femme fatale without feeling femme fatale And uh, it was just super fun. And that pretty much goes to all of the stories. It really helped me understand a little bit better about the... So if you can picture a hive structure, there's the spire, which is like where all the nobility and the rich people live. And then as you start to go down through the underhive, you start to get even lower, like the different levels as you go lower and lower and lower. It really helped me kind of visualize where people fit in and like mm. the different houses and because and i think i told you reading both of these books i am familiar with with necromunda as a thing and like i understand like broad concepts of it but i couldn't really tell you much about it so i spent a lot of time looking up like what the hell's a house escher they're walmart brown calidus and then they <laughs> House Goliath, they're the GoBots of the Astartes. And, um, <laughs> get references all night, you guys, because it's been whiskey o'clock for a while. Um, oh my God. Anyway. I wonder how many youngins are like, where are GoBots? What's a GoBot? <laughs> you don't need to know. <laughs> it's the Kmart brand Transformers. Kmart Transformers. They even have TV show. Anyways, it was it not was... Transformers like. <laughs> so bad so bad but uh like worse, no it's, a, it's it's like worse than chip tearing up the floppy drive the five and a quarter like i'm, I'm destroying the whole server <laughs> gobots is worse than that it was worse than that i oh i have really i have like a lot of strong opinions on this which should come as a surprise to no one anyways uh, <laughs> so they uh it's you know it was a really fun book i not a lot to say about it because I didn't have a cohesive overarching plot other than Tales from the Underhive. And it was really fun. I did notice that you can buy the individual short stories singularly. So I highly recommend Scarcross. It's like $3.99, but for $9.99, you can get the whole thing. Um, and same, I didn't get it in paperback. I regret that. I might try and see if like my local games workshop store has one because uh, I bought it digitally and the art on it's really awesome because it has a House Goliath ganger, which it should come as no surprise. I really like House Goliath. Um, we'll talk more about that, about Cal Jericho. So, All right, so I do have one question. Hmm. What is Necromunda? Necromunda is the unofficial name of a planet that <clears throat> it is a hive world. It has Shock. very, yeah, it has very, very, very ancient history. It spans back to the dark age of technology. And so it is a planet and it's pretty much just the one hive. There's a couple of hives in there. They mention hive primus or maybe it was hive secundus in this one. But one of the hives has fallen to an alien invasion or that's the rumor at any rate, who actually knows what's going on down there. And um, 
so that's the setting is it's basically a hive city it's the to borrow one of our favorite quotes it's you know the a wretched hive of scum and villainy where everyone is crooked and just trying to survive so that's right up your alley oh god it's so up my alley <laughs> it it really fits in with the post-topian vibe that i really like um and the cool thing about it is that they have a lot of the technology well they kind of have some of the technology they have they're aware of some of it they understand about some things from off world but it's a it's a mean life like house goliath they don't live very long like maybe 30 years oh wow oh yeah these people live fast die hard so it's a uh, it's it's all up my alley <laughs> As I don't know, to be fair, I don't actually know why I resisted it for so long, because as I was reading it, something would happen and I would be like, oh my God, I love that particular motif or I love that style. I love that concept. And so, yeah, more fool me, I guess. <laughs> so it still takes place in, you know, 40, 41st millennium. Mm -hmm. It's just one particular planet. One particular planet, um, the hive itself is so huge that it encompasses, it's, I mean, it's basically an entire country, right? So there's just, and it's smart because of the size of it and because of how violent it is and because, because of all these little factors, the story possibility for it's endless. Mm. It is its own little fiefdom and it doesn't really care about anything else going on outside of the world. Uh, We'll talk more about this later, but an Inquisitor shows up at one point and everybody's scared of an Inquisitor and knows that, okay, Inquisitor's not to be messed with. But we're also really not to be messed with and no one will miss an Inquisitor. This is true. Yeah, pretty much. Um, Inquisitors disappear every day. Exactly. <laughs> it's just all references tonight, everyone. Um, so, yes, it was... I liked it. I would recommend it for nine bucks. I mean, it's a great little short story anthology, or you can just pick up uh, some of the better ones. I really liked Red Salvage by Josh Reynolds. I really liked Emperor's Eye by Guy Haley. Of course, Scarcross was really good. Um, and uh, Redemption by Darius Hanks. I really liked that one. So yeah, again, you could buy them separately or just buy the whole thing. Wow. So we both had some Darius Hanks. Yes, and we both gathered new obsessions as you continue to read more and more about the Blood Angels. I can already tell that I'm going to be reading more about Necromunda as I just put like four things in my cart. <laughs> like just now? Uh, well, no, before we started the okay, podcast. Okay, I was like, oh, we're doing I, this? You're still, no, you're shopping? <laughs> I'm shopping and doing, no, I, I can't multitask for shit. Um, but i uh yeah i ordered a couple because i just realized that josh reynolds has an audio drama about gore halfhorn i love it that's so cool though it is cool i had a lot of fun with it just kind of like <laughs> it's another faction that you that you like so yeah pretty much and it, i guess again it just proves how vast the warhammer 40k universe is right and how flexible it is so just more reasons to love the universe, I guess. Even though none so, of us fantasize about living there. 
no god no that's all i could think about is like on one hand i'm having so much fun reading this and it was you know it was oh my god this is awesome and oh that's so cool and oh how neat and they have like they have ab humans like there's a dwarf and there's uh gore half horn is kind of like a goat ram he sounded more like a bull to me but i think he's supposed to be a goat um or a, like a big horn sheep but all of this stuff can exist and it's delightful and never ever see an Astartes. Never ever see that at all. And it also did kind of just drive home that point where you're like, oh, oh, this world is violent and I would be dead. Oh, but Kurz would probably love the place. <laughs> Kurz would just kill everything. <laughs> like if he dropped Conrad Kurz off on this planet, in like three days there'd be no one. <laughs> It just be it would just be a dead planet. Oh yes, we'll talk more about that. Oh, but he'd be so artistic about it. That's true. Oh, it would just be like flayed corpses as Whereas far as Angron the eye can would see. Would just you know, with his dueling axes, just kind of come on through. No, oh, Karn. I don't know how Karn would though, but like I was thinking like Angron if they just you know the world eaters just. Kind of came yeah. through. This is gigantic bulldozer. I don't, I honestly, I don't know if Angron would really care. I think he would just be like, meh. <laughs> like, if the Emperor was like, go clean this planet. It's a bunch of fucking humans. Who cares? Um, at this point. It's called Tuesday, um, Emperor. Right, exactly. <laughs> He's like, meh. They're fine. Um, yeah, there is one house on there that's very interesting. It's House Cawdor. They are all zealots for the emperor okay. uh they're basically like televangelists so like think jimmy jones i'm not kidding um or who's the guy oh god who's the guy shoot i can't think of his name but the guy that's current right now at the huge mega church on tv joel osteen yes him hmm. so think the asshole him. from houston <laughs> you know how those houston houstonians are well um, you know he's such a great believer in god and christianity that he would not open his mega church for the flood victims of harvey yes that guy the cador is kind of like that too mm. they're here to punish sinners with fire by lighting them on fire mm. and with guns uh and unless you're going to pay them some money in which case they might look away for a bit um <laughs> so it is like Joel Osteen. Pretty much, yeah. It is every televangelist you can think of. Uh, all that's missing is Tammy Faye's eyelashes. So, I, again, loved it. Had so much fun. Uh, it was a an un unexpected obsession, and I'm really happy that I found it. So, let's talk actual book you intended to read. Yeah, the so, one I intended to read. So after you did your background reading, you got into Mephiston. Yeah, it's funny because both books were titled Mephiston. Just one's Mephiston, Lord of Death, and the other one's Mephiston, Blood of Sanguinius. He has so many titles. Well, I think that one was just, you know, they used his title and this one's like, oh no, this is an actual book. <laughs> Blood of Sanguinius. So this one uh, was not what I expected. Okay. Uh, at Go all. Um, it was not told. Good or bad? Ended up being good. Okay. Um, so it's not, this one's not told from Mephiston's point of view. Instead, it is told from the point of view of a brand new uh, Lexicanium. 
in in the Blood Angels. And it starts, he's on this planet, Thermia, and he has this vision that he's supposed to do something with Mephiston, but he's not exactly sure what. And on this planet, there's these wonderful things called dusk, dust worms. And they like to eat people's brains. Like the thing from Wrath of Khan? Yes, but these are like actually giant. They're pretty giant worms. So like you can hear them coming. And see them. That's charming. Yeah. And when they attack someone, so what they do is they'll jump down their throat, kind of like a uh, xenomorph. Ew. And then they start to grow and become distended and gorge. Oh, and then they can oh. get bigger and faster and they keep moving. And then, they'll, and then what they do is they'll grab other humans and toss them back to the other dust worms. And the same things happen to those until it's just this after effect. Cool. Yeah, not really. Um, and this happens. Uh, so the the Lexicanium's name is Antros, and this happens. He witnesses it. He's trying to help protect the guy who actually led him led him there. Mm-hmm. And the Mephiston just goes into this sudden. He like loses control. The sudden rage. Okay. And develops this. I think they said it was a vortex of blood. And there's a little tornado of blood just kind of going and it swoops them all up. Like Karn style? I guess. It's just summoning this thing of blood. Okay. And it starts swirling and it gets all of these dust worms into it. And then when it explodes, it tears them all apart into pieces. So it's just like. And then, but he can't, but he, so Anantros was like Lord Mephiston. And he turned around, grabbed Anantros by the throat and like throws him up. And he's about to kill him. And it's not until... He suddenly, he's able to read Mephiston's mind like, like that. And he's able to talk to Mephiston through his mind. But then Mephiston puts him down. It's just like, huh. Like, kind of like, you shouldn't have been able to do that. Mm-hmm. So then he says, I want you to go back to Ball and wait for me to summon you. And the thing about this Lexicanium is that he's young. Mm-hmm. He, like, just got this position. And so he's got that ambition. Uh-oh. And, you know, and it's one of those things. He's just like, oh, my God. Like, Mephiston picked me type thing. And. But he's new Mephist- here right well Mephiston doesn't even know why that happened he doesn't even know, he doesn't know why he he picked him because he's like our fates are bound somehow because there's no way you should have been able to read my mind um okay so but in the middle of this Mephiston has been getting these weird dreams of this flayed woman and actually uh Antros had this vision as well he had a vi- his vision was of Mephiston with the flayed woman Okay. But Mephiston's having these dreams of this flayed woman calling him for help. But he can't really figure out where. Well, it's around this time that some of the parts of the ecclesiarchy, they come to him and they're like, look, we've lost a planet. And and he's like, yeah, I've heard about this. He's like, no, we, we can't find it. It's like, it's it's not there. Like, it's not in the oh. sector. Like, we've flown, like, lost, like lost. yeah, it's like we've flown where it's supposed to huh. be, and there's nothing there, and we need help finding it, and Mephiston's like, he's pretty much like, yes, I can help you find it, but he kind of pulls some Magnus warp fuckery, and tears a hole in the materium, and just pops over there, and then comes back. As one can? Yeah, just pops over there, and then he comes back, he's like, okay, this is possible. <laughs> He's like, I found wow, it. Wow, 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 wow. Yeah, he's, he's like, I found it. It's there. But 
you have no idea what's going on in this place. Uh, it's like, there's a civil war and this uh, confessor who's kind of, he's like, there's, that's impossible. Like, these are all men of the emperor. They would never do that. It's like, yeah, let me tell you like what I saw. Like this place is half destroyed. So what is going on in there is that, the, uh, so the same people are still living there. When they look up into the sky, there's no sky. It's a reflection of the planet below. Oh, shit. That's some warp shit. Maybe. Just some big warp shit. But they are divided. Okay. Because you have this one faction that claims to be for the emperor, and there's other faction that also claims to be for the emperor, but there's a prophet that has appeared. And right there, I'm going, hmm. Yeah, he's called the Unbegotten Prince. And immediately I'm just like, yeah, this is, this is, no, no, no friends. No. So, but they're trying to lead for this, uh, trying to find this certain relic that's hidden there. I was like, it's always a relic. It's always a relic with the blood angels. That's right. Well, the legend has it in this relic that. <laughs> There's always a legend. Right. Well, the emperor himself. Okay. Came to this planet and for whatever reason, I forget why they told this story. I was just like, sure he did. You know, it's kind of reminds me when the Mormons talk about Jesus coming to the Americas. I'm like, sure he did. Um, the golden tablets and a hat sets. Wait, were there golden tablets and a hat? There was not a hat or tablets. Okay. I was like, wait, there were golden tablets? No. <laughs> that okay. only one man could read and see through? Yes. No. Dum, um, dum, 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 dum. <laughs> but no. Uh, the emperor, I forget why, but he decided to go down into the earth and bring up like all this lava again. I don't Oh, it was to forge his, the sword he has of fire. This is like how that is formed, but he got stuck and couldn't get out. So he had to call for the he had to call, I love this. This is my favorite part of the whole thing. He had to call for, for assistance from uh, a wondrous man. Here it comes. From a wondrous man whose name was Lupercal to come and help him get out. And, huh. and, and they left behind this hilt and it's called the Blade uh, Petrific. And so... People on this planet, they're supposed to guard it mm -hmm. until the time the emperor comes back and wreaks his uh, wrath on the world. So the funny thing okay. is, because they're, they're telling this legend and Mephiston actually did that. He was like, there's always a legend. <laughs> and he's just not. So is this one told in first person or is this third It's not. Person? It's third person. Okay. It's third person. Mm -hmm. uh, but nothing is told without. It's either. Well, I'll get to that in a second. So anyway, so you have this one faction, but the unbegotten prince, who's like, it is our job to retrieve this and take it to the emperor himself, because this is why he can't get off his throne. So people are like, oh my god, this totally makes sense. And you have some magical powers, so it totally makes sense that you could be a prophet. He's a psyker. Worse. So they're now marching against... Uh, I guess with uh, the rest of the ecclesiarchs. Okay. And as they're trying to find it, they're trying to protect it as well. No one really knows exactly where it is, but you find out later that where it is, it's in a convent of battle sisters who, oh. who are not on either side. Right. They're pretty much like the fuck you. You're not coming up here and taking this. Um, 
But as they get there and they're trying to figure out like what's going on with the Civil War, like who's the good guys, who's the bad guys, they actually meet the Unbegotten Prince and he's like, I think we need to start on the right foot. And Mephiston looks at him and is like, hmm, and shoots him in the head. And he immediately becomes two people. He's like, okay, now that wasn't necessary. And he keeps on talking. And so then others are shooting him. And he becomes like multiples. And finally they're like, he's a Hydra. We're like, what are you doing? Just stop it. So then Mephiston's like, okay, I'm done playing. And like sets a uh, psychic fire to all of them. And then they burn up and they go away. So he's like, I think I know, I think I know what, what we're dealing with. Uh, he's like, I need to go talk to the uh, current Ecclesiarch. They go out there, bring everybody. He tells his best friend, uh, the Epistolary Rasalis, I believe we saw in De Devastation of Ball. That name sounds familiar. Yeah. He's like, you need to teach Antros some things. He hasn't, you know, gotten, gotten through all that. And he's just like, mm -hmm. basically, Rasalis the whole time with Antros is like, I don't want to. He shouldn't be here. He's ambitious and I want nothing to do with him. And Mephiston's just like, that's nice, but we're bound somehow. And I want him near me till I find out how. Um, but then he does teach him like all these invocations that are forbidden to younger mm -hmm. librarians. So he's basically been elevated and it's kind of funny to watch this guy go through this because like I said, he's so ambitious and he's just like, you know, Mephiston chose me. And then when he does learn everything, he realizes, Oh, Mephiston chose me. Like this is a burden. This is not, this is not a good thing. <laughs> I mean, of all the teachers whose pet you don't want to be. Well, he was thinking this was all going to come to some big promotion. And then he realizes, no, like that's that's not what this is about. This is for something no. even greater. And once he realizes that Rosellus is cool with him, but it takes like most of the book because most of the time they're very, very grumpy. Um, They get to the Cardinal. The Cardinal's not there. He's like gone off into the wilderness in the middle of the Civil War to um pray to the Emperor. Okay. Right. But he comes back. They have this. They, they basically bring everybody into this big amphitheater to hear him speak. And Mephiston, he's like, something's going to happen here, but I'm not sure what it is. We need to be on the lookout for the Unbegotten Prince for coming in. And then uh, the Cardinal, like, starts writing runes on his arm. Mephiston's like, ah, crap, it's him. <laughs> here Dump, he goes. Dumps down. Basically, he becomes a... A demon, a changing demon. He makes everybody in the amphitheater become mutants. He's like, we need. He's like, we have to ride to the convent. We're gonna meet the unbegotten prince, and we're gonna take back the relic and bring it to the emperor. And they're all like, okay, cool. Wait, a demon wants to bring it back to the emperor? That's what he's telling everybody. Oh, I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> this makes sense. Okay, I'm slow. No, it's fine. No, trust me. It was just like, what is this going? Oh, oh. You know, they'll say anything to get people to to, to go, right. go along with them, especially the, especially this group of uh, zealot people. They know how have, people work. Who have been guarding this uh, relic for tens of thousands of years. Right. And um, so they get to the convent and the sister's like, we're not afraid of anybody. Like they can come and try to take it. And the head sister, the canoness, is the flayed woman. Who has been oh. trying to get a hold of Mephiston. And at one point in time, she gets like this little, like almost like a voodoo doll. And she starts talking to it. And she's like, yes, Lord Mephiston, I'm so ready for you to come here. He's like, yes, I'll be with you soon. And I'm like, he doesn't even know who he was talking to. And then you find out 
that who she's been talking to is like the big puppet master of this whole thing. Like the unbegotten prince is a pawn. So she's become a pawn. He convinced her to burn herself. So the reason why she like, looks awful is because she burned herself. Oh. And now, and then you had, you know, them playing the cardinal. Mm-hmm. And then there's this other little faction out here to the side. Mm-hmm. Who are some of the children of the vow who claim to be loyal. And they're like, well, we're going to go to the convent first. And they go in under refugees and they're like, we're going to be here. We're, we want to help. And they're like, oh, yes, we will, we will gladly take you, even though we don't need your help. But we'll, you know, we'll gladly take you. It turns out that the lead woman in that is a follower of... Zinch! Yes! And she's there. And so this puppet master has played the unbegotten prince, her, and the canonists against each other. Basically, it's a game. It's a game like, who can, bring this pri- who can bring this prize to me first? Awesome. Yeah, well, when the unbegotten prince realizes this, he gets pissed. He starts summoning up, like, all of these demons. Mm-hmm. And now the battle sisters are getting destroyed. Right and left. Mephiston shows up. Has like a stare off with the unbegotten prince, and then basically the entire convent, which is based on the side of this mountain, collapses. So, so but Antros is trying to get his attention, and he can't. So there's like, okay, fine, I'm gonna go find the relic myself and take it. But he's too late. They uh, that the witch is already there, and he's trying to and gets hold of Mephiston. He's like, she's got it, she's got it. Go that way, and Mephiston just went. And they kept doing what he's going to do. And the guy's like, what are you doing? So he wakes up in a uh, kind of apothecarium. When Mephiston killed Unbegotten Prince, the uh, curse lifted. And now Divinus Prime's just like, must be really weird. Just kind of popped back into real space. Wow, wow, wow. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what to say. Right? And... All Antros can think of is you let her get away. So he's so he's like, you have no control over this gift. Because that's another main part of it, was that he lets him know about his gift. So the gift of him surviving the black rage is that he's becoming part of the warp. Like his like his hand becomes like almost see-through black and he's got oh, fire shit. and he's trying to control it. And he uh-huh. realizes that this, he, he thinks that the blade is going to help him understand how to control it or how he got to be this way. And instead he's like, that's not going to help me. What's going to help me is to keep, you know, being who I am. And then I will find the time. I will find the right moment to, to control this. But all Antro sees is, like, this gift is not a gift. You let her go. You're on the side of chaos. And he, like, lifts up his gun to shoot Mephiston. And Mephiston, he looks over at him and smiles, which he says looks very odd on his face. He says, maybe one day you will kill me, but it's not today. And he tells him that he let her go because he planted something, basically, on it. So he's like, I don't want her. I want the puppet master. So now he has a trail. So that's what the next book's most likely going to be about. Oh, okay. Is the, you know, finding this this puppet master. But man, you know, I swear to God, you know, reading this book made me really think, like, 
I think the Inquisition is doing mo more harm than good in trying to keep like the whole thing about the demons. Like, mm. right. Because as soon as I hear about this unbegotten prince saying he's there for the emperor, I'm like, that's Zinch. It has to be like, first of all, because right. that, that's not how corn do. That's not no. how Slanesh do. Uh, that's not how Nurgle do. So I knew it had to be, had to be Zinch, but the, but nobody else, they never heard of demons before. So when they see right. him, they have no idea what it is. It's like, man, if only you guys, like, they allowed this to happen. Because even the Cardinals and the Ecclesiarchs had never seen demons. They didn't believe in them. Right. So they're, so, you know, that's, goes all above them. Mm -hmm. It's like, man, if they just knew, because I guarantee you, if the Blood Angels were there and they heard, I mean, as soon as they heard of some begotten prince, they're like, y yeah, no. <laughs> Right. That's not really how the Emperor do these days. He's not really doing much. Yeah, not a whole lot. He's keeping the Astronomicon open, and that's about it. So, overall, did you like it? I did. I did. I don't think it's gotten a very fair rap, because as I was, like, ending it and, you know, marking it, my first book read in 2020 on Goodreads. Nice! It has, like, a lot of... A ton of three and two star reviews and i just and, and I, really and i don't i need to read some of them to totally understand what the funny thing is is that the ones that I, the reviews that i did read were all like it's really good but starts off too slow like okay huh. the spear of the emperor was slow <laughs> i knew that was coming okay <laughs> this was not slow to me because there was mm -hmm. a lot of background information coming in here you had to introduce antros to the gift like right. we don't know about the gift at this point one of the things I really liked about it is all this terminology gets thrown around. I'm like, I'm going to have to look this up. And even Mephiston's like, I don't know what that is. Because <laughs> the Ecclesiarchy, they keep calling him the Arcs Angelus. He's like, yeah, I don't know what that is. Like, but you are it. Okay, sure. I don't know what that is. Okay. I'm just Mephiston. <laughs> right. All right. So then, okay. So you, I know that you read it because on the heels of James Swallow's um, anthology, I know you're really, you really are curious about the blood angels. Right. A, honestly, the reason why I even picked this up was because of James Swallow's the blood angels it was not because of devastation of ball, but because of James Swallow's blood angels. I liked, I was very curious about Mephiston. So the fact that, so they were trying to call Dante to look at Sanguinius reborn Dante's like, well, yeah, I guess I'll go. And Fiston was like, no, let me go. Because if they kill you, you know, that's the end of us. If they kill me, there's always more librarians. Which even though Dante's like, well, that's not exactly true. He's like, no, just, just let, let me go. And when he goes and he sees the Sanguinius Reborn, he kind of puts his hand over his mouth. And I just imagine him chuckling to start laughing. Just like, Really? This is what you got? Okay. So was this a good follow-up, though? I think so. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Um, Did it scratch your blood angel's itch? That just sounds like a really bad disease. I'm sticking with it. No apologies. Just... Well, if nothing else, what it really did... Uh, well, one thing I liked about this one and uh, The Lord of Death was that it wasn't really about... It didn't have any of the vampire stuff in it. Like, it wasn't... Oh! They didn't go into, like, drinking blood of others. Now, Mephiston in Lord of Death book would talk about when blood was splashed over his face, he'd be like, yes, this is satisfying 
some of the lust, but it wasn't like any of like the active, no one fell to the red thirst. None of the, and I think Devastation of Ball kind of ruined a lot of that for me for a long time, right. just because there were so many of those factions that were just like, that's what people are for, right? Um, but yeah, but more like, I liked this look at the librarians. Right. And especially you with- are- partial to librarians anyways yeah i always, and i don't know why i just maybe it's because they kind of teeter on that edge of you know mephiston and he even would talk about with antros because antros summoned this invocation because he read mm-hmm. this forbidden book and he summoned it but didn't have full control over it and then he right. ended up getting pulled into the immaterium so mephiston had to go in there after him and he was like it's like well it's like well i i had to do it it's like you almost were destroyed like you need to learn how to control these things because you do understand that we basically say you understand this is some warp fuckery okay right we have to be careful there is this line that we cannot cross or it will consume us which again made me think a lot of dragon age right the parallels continue that's right so would you recommend this knowing that there's a little bit of uh prerequisites (laughs) for reading it you know, I wouldn't say that Lord of Death was a prerequisite. It was nice to have some background info, but that's also mm. just me. I'm a very okay. big, I like to having all the, I like to have everything. I like to, that's I'm like true. Magnus. I like to know everything before I go into something. Um, but I mean, I enjoyed this. I mean, would I recommend it? That's hard to say. I would recommend it to those who are interested in Mephiston at all. Okay. If because uh, there's not much blood angel. It's not your typical blood angels being blood angels. The funniest mm-hmm. thing of this whole thing was that how they're trying to keep this whole thing a secret from Dante. Which I imagine Dante just being like, yeah, I know, but whatever. <laughs> right, like, okay. Cool story. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, you just, you do your thing. Okay, I'll, you'll come back. It'll all be good. It'll be fine. If not, I'll have to kill you. And this is what, that's kind of how we do, too. That, mm, yeah. Pretty much. So, I mean, it's hard for me to say, like, does it make me, like, a huge Blood Angels fan? It makes me a big librarian, being a bigger librarian mm-hmm. fan. And, like, the, the Blood Angels, man, with some of the, their warp craft, they're unusual. Right. And just that the blood magic that they use. They keep calling them blood rites. And it's not that they're actually, like, slicing wrists or killing people to mm-hmm. do this. But somehow they're able to, like, work with blood. It kind of reminds me, I never saw Avatar the last airbender but i mean you've told you told me about some of the bloodbenders and that's exactly the stuff that racialist was doing with the mutants he would was able to yank the capillaries out of their heads whoa that does not sound like a fun way to go by the way it does not sound like a fun way to go so there's a lot of that you know like again like the summoning of you know the blood vortices which he does a couple of times he also is he also is able to do a shield of blood around like a sphere made of blood around him to protect him well i mean where's the i don't don't even i didn't mark this one line but when he first goes over to to divinus prime through the materium and comes back he's having trouble coming back because he didn't anchor correctly to come back and he pops back and he's like, huh, someone followed. Like, it's no big deal. And all of a sudden, all these demons just show up. And they're all screaming. And he's like, they're vermin. It's fine. They're like, this is not fine. Like, one of their big temples on Ball 
is collapsing. Like, this is not fine. He's like, this is not okay. Like, whatever. But Antros was there and he's talking. He's never seen anything like this. And he's talking Mm -hmm. about when the demons come through, he's like, you smelled them first. And he said basically everything was like kind of writhing and boiling in this, you know, the big sphere of blood. And then he said it burst open of like this blood and fecal soup. I'm like, oh, uh, God, man. Oh, uh, why? I was cooking dinner. I had to put the book down. I'm like, no. uh, That's gross. Just in a tweet that like, thanks a lot. I was cooking dinner. And he was like, oh, was it soup? I'm like, thank you, Mr. Hanks. No, it was like, soup. baby. But I mean, you, since you don't care for the Blood Angels that much, I think you might like this because it's not vampiric, but it still has a lot of the characteristics of Blood Angels, you know, with the whole like the relics. It's always a relic. I swear to God, always a relic. Um, Orders of the Space Marines. Huh? I said they're the hoarders hoarders of of the the Space Space Marines. Marines. I mean, yeah, Devastation of Ball. That's the Blood Ravens. You know, devastation of ball. You look at uh, Dante giving away all of his toys. <laughs> pretty much, yeah, pretty much. Um, but yeah, so so there's there's some of that. I mean, it's kind of predictable in a way. Although I did not see that small faction with the uh, the children of the vow actually being zinc worshippers. I did not see that part coming. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of interesting. Or the big puppet master. I didn't see a puppet master either until. I see him talking to the unbegotten prince and then again to the prioress, the flayed woman. Of course, the thing is, like like I said, Antros had a vision of her and he sees her and he about basically passes out. It's like, the hell, this is not okay. Nice. Well, good. I'm glad because I know that we we said this, we were like, okay, we're going to read something that the other person doesn't want to read. That was like the first book you came up with. Is you're like, I've got, I've got blood angels, and I know you're not interested. And I was, oh, okay, great. Um, but I'm glad it didn't disappoint. Yeah, no, I really I got, enjoyed it. I got your Mephistonich scratched. No, I need to uh, now buy Revenant Crusade. You know, I've already put in an Amazon order. I'll just put in another one. As one does. Right. <laughs> There's always more Amazon orders. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm trying to like economize mine right now, but it's just not working. With books. Oh, you know what? I bet you they have the Underhive paperback. I just don't <laughs> You didn't look there? I didn't. I just got straight on to... Um, well, I saw that it was only on digital on Black Library, and I was impatient. So I got on iBooks and was like, oh, look, there it is. And there we go. iBooks. Don't, don't judge me, monkey. I will totally judge you for using iBooks. Somebody else might want to use it at some point. Anyways... So, <laughs> moving from Mephiston to Cal Jericho, uh, I picked up Cal Jericho by Josh Reynolds because by, it was by Josh Reynolds, and they had that this... was like the only reason why you picked it up, right? It's because it was Josh Reynolds and the purple paper, <laughs> and it was a special edition, and I really like the plastic cover, the whole thing about it, right? And I did take a chance on it because I was like, you know, we got the Apocalypse special edition. I was not disappointed. So I figured we'll try this one out, and I'm so glad that I did. Um, so as I mentioned, the Underhive is a mess. It has all these different warring factions, and in it is the most famous bounty hunter in all of Necromunda, Cal Jericho. So oh Cal Jericho is this like Star Wars in Warhammer 40k? 
No. Okay. It is, it is instead, it was like, it would have fit very well in the Man Without a Name trilogy. It is a space Western. Okay. And I say that, I say that with a big asterisk next to it because it's not, it's not a space Western with the baggage of like Firefly. It's not in the Firefly vein of things. It is violent. It is over the top. It's definitely 80s action feel to it. Uh, the special edition might as well have come with the Betsy Johnson bow and a can of, hair, of Aquanet. So it, uh, so Cal Jericho is a bounty hunter with his lifelong friends, Yolanda, who's his kind of, sort of wife, and Scabs, who is half rat skin. I had to look up what a rat skin is. Um, they're super cool. This book, so think about this book, and I'm sure Josh Reynolds did this on purpose, is that every time they would introduce a new character with the exception of one character we'll talk about in a bit here. But every time they introduced a new character, I was like, oh, I like the hell out of this guy already. So it was just, the book is like the Magnificent Dozen mm. because all these groups of people, and it, so let me back up. So a man named Desolation Zoon has stolen something from the guilds. He is a member of House Caught. Well, he's kind of a member of House Caught R. He's actually a, a more, um, a more uh, zealous group called the Redemptionists. He has stolen weapons and something else. Mm. He is going down into the Underhive. A bunch of different factions, interested parties, have hired bounty hunters to hunt him down and find him. Cal Jericho is just going straight on to find him and kill him. His friend who joins them, Gore Halfhorn, is also just going to kill him. Meanwhile, Cal Jericho's longtime rival, Bertram Arturos III, and his group of people, the third, who, the third uh, his group of people, which includes another one of the most famous underhive denizens, Belladonna, her and my new minor character crush, because you probably, if you listen to this podcast for any point of time, you've probably figured out that I have a tendency to latch on to minor characters and just love them dearly member of the house goliath named big sledge not sledge big sledge <laughs> he's smart for a goliath anyways uh they're on the trail along with an off-world avoid-born sniper named yar umbra who's a complete and total badass and an ab human who is basically a dwarf named uh grendel grendelson they're all <laughs> names <laughs> you guys the names are so it, you know at some point all i could picture was like wwe intros <laughs> like, seriously they might as well have been coming out with music and like explosions and lights going on behind them so especially the house goliath guys i just pictured them all as wwe stars it's all wrestling all the time um they are all on the hunt for this man named Desolation Zoon. They all have their own motives. In it is a very strange man named Nemo, who is an information broker and is very pervasive and kind of a fear point. As they're hunting Desolation Zoon, they're trying to figure out kind of what his bag is, why he's going to this town, this town called uh, Perdition, to help these people. As you can imagine, it turns out there's a giant mutant army coming to take over the town. 
the mutant army is surprisingly well funded. We'll talk about that in a second. And surprisingly well organized. So it then becomes the meeting of all of these disparate groups coming together to fight off the mutants so that then they can get the bounty on Desolation Zune. Oh, and pick out the thing. It, it's a MacGuffin. There's no other way to say it. It's a MacGuffin and Josh Reynolds totally pulls off the magical MacGuffin. Which is not easy to do. Well, you hate MacGuffins. I I hate MacGuffins. I ignore them. They're, you know, I'm just like, eh, sometimes it's, it depends on how it's used. Like sometimes if it's like a real obvious, like, well, that was convenient. Like a deus ex machina, like how they, yes. you know, how, how Greek plays would end. Um, no, that that's annoying. But like some MacGuffins, I'm like, oh, okay, well, whatever. Right. Well, my big complaint with MacGuffins is that generally they fall into either deus ex machina or it's the type of thing that you're like, why would anyone have gone to this trouble to have found this thing? Right? Like, oh, it's a, a rare book. Who Who cares? It's not worth all of this murder and mayhem, right? We'll talk about the MacGuffin in a minute. So all of these people come together to fight. Again, one of my favorite things in the world is an impossible siege against impossible odds. I love a good siege. It's actually one of the reasons that the Iron Warriors are one of my favorite legions. I like a good siege. So it is delightful. Again, it's super high action. Of course, as you can imagine, nobody, nobody is friendly toward one another. Uh, but they do come together to work together in a really fun way. Uh, there's a scene where Yar Umbra tries to kill Cal until Cal is like, all right, guys, let's all make a deal. And then he goes back out to look at the sniper and the sniper's waving at him. <laughs> like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> We're friends now. And <laughs> so everybody's getting along. That's amazing. Except for Belladonna who it turns out was working her own ploy the whole time. With a name like Belladonna, I am shocked. Right. Shocked. Um, well, and she's really fun too, actually. Now, actually, my, my complaint about the book comes from all of the characters are so much fun. Grindel Grindelson's probably one of my favorites, aside from Big Sledge, uh, and Gore Halfhorn, because they're just your big, stereotypical brute guys, smoking cigars, shooting guns, Gore Halfhorn only shoots with a uh, um, shotgun. He's in the middle of a siege and his only weapon is a shotgun because it's Gore Halfhorn. Um, Belladonna and Yolanda, they kind of towed the line a little bit too much for the angry girl stereotypes from the 90s. Mm. So Yolanda reminded me a lot of Tank Girl. Okay. I don't know that I mean that as a compliment. And I say that as a person who was a big Tank Girl fan back in the 90s. Um, Belladonna, she plays somewhere between Body Heat era Kathleen Turner and <laughs> very specific femme fatale I'm going for there. Yeah. And Rosario Dawson in Sun City. They were occasionally, like everybody, let me, let me make it very clear that everybody's towing the line. They're all playing to type and they're very stereotypical, but they're right at the line where they're fun. So you mm -hmm. instantly like these characters because they're familiar. It's like putting on your favorite hoodie, right? You're like, oh, I know the tough guy with a shotgun trope. So they were all pretty fun, but those two occasionally went over the line where I was like, okay, yeah, we get it. Um, 
in the end, after the last bullet is fired, Desolation, Desolation Zune actually gets exploded, so there's no body to count a bounty on, and Belladonna makes off with the barrel, with the MacGuffin. So, in classic Warhammer style, everybody looks around and goes, well, who wants to get a drink? Well, gotta get a drink before you start killing each other again. And they all go off to get a drink. Which is just delightful, because it's definitely Josh Reynolds setting up this current state of affairs and this current world. Uh, Belladonna gets back to Nemo. Nemo reveals that the MacGuffin was being hunted by an Ordo Xenos Inquisitor. <laughs> and this is a lovely scene at which he's talking with the Inquisitor and Belladonna, and he reveals that she's an Inquisitor. And he's like, oh yes, this is so-and-so from the Ordo Xenos. And the Inquisitor looks at him and says, oh, are we introducing by our full names right now? And Nemo obviously goes under this alias who, it's fun because he tries to stretch his power a little. Mm -hmm. And she very quickly reminds him that, no friend, <laughs> you are not. It actually reminded me a lot of that scene from The Dark Knight Rises with, when Bane sets his hand on that guy's shoulder. Do you feel in control? <laughs> uh, similar thing. Uh, the MacGuffin in this case, so all of this death, all of this murder, it's an Ordo Xenos Inquisitor, but that only goes so far, right? You can only be like, oh, they killed a bunch of people because it's the Ordo Xenos. It is actually a carotid, which is a C-A-R-Y-T-I-D. These, if you're unfamiliar with these, these are a rare-ish. Uh, I've only encountered one before in story. Uh, it is an unknown entity. They look like little blue imps. They have little devil tails, red eyes, blue skin, and little wings. And they sit on people's shoulders. They can be found throughout the hive cities, uh, the deep, deep under hive. The theory is that they sit on powerful people's shoulders and they kind of mentally do um, placate people around those important people. They probably, a lot of those important people are probably owed their power because of this creature and the Ordo Xenos Inquisitor takes so kind the keratin kind of puts it on her shoulder oh. and walks out which I'm sure that won't end poorly for anyone so you now have an Inquisitor out in the wild who's going rogue this. obviously <laughs> maybe um, and then there's another mysterious subplot to this that the mutant army, which is kind of fun too, um, the mutant army was being supplied by some guy called Kelwin, who clearly is an upper spire person. Mm -hmm. And the Ordo Xenos lady is very, very interested in him. Why would he be supplying weapons to a mutant army? Why would he be trying to cause this huge uprising? Because basically what happens is the mutants are trying to take over the Underhive and are pushing the people up further yeah, yeah. up. Um, that's a little interesting. Uh, you have that. You also have another character called Amanute. Amanute? I'm not sure how we wanted to say that name. But uh, she's a rat skin. You really get to see the rat skins in this book too, which is kind of fun. They are basically barbarians. Uh, underhive barbarians who don't really want to 
play by any of the rules. They don't want to play by house rules. They don't really believe in the emperor. They believe in the spirits of the hive. They can talk talk to the spirits of the hive. So after how much peyote? <laughs> uh oh my god, they like drugs and alcohol galore because if you lived in under 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 the sewers you probably would eat it too uh yeah there's so much gross stuff that i actually reading this book the whole time as i was reading it they would describe things and i'm like carrie wouldn't do well with this <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of because they would describe like the rivers that they were like there's a river scene when they're in a river and i'm like that's like all sewage and industrial runoff and there are a few logic questions like how are they getting clean water to drink? Is it clean? Is it, oh God, is it clean? Um, stuff like that, <laughs> you know, clean-ish, uh, little things like that. Um, overall though, super fun book. It moves the last hundred pages. I couldn't put the book down. I stayed up till like two in the morning reading it. I just could not put it down. It was so good, so fast. And it's just like, it's not a big lore changing thing. It's not, high literature well i would figure a necromunda can't really be lore changing because it's kind of its own thing well i didn't get the impression and i could be wrong if anyone's a big necromunda fan please let me know i didn't get the impression that they were even really changing the lore within that universe you know what i mean like it wasn't one of those things where i was like oh it doesn't matter if they have bigger 40k lore but oh man if you're a necromunda fan oh snap I didn't really get that impression. It was kind of like Shroud of Night, actually. And that is just, plus you. Thank you. Crazy, crazy fun. And not taking itself too seriously. A lot of tongue-in-cheek gags. I laughed so hard through this book in a lot of places. Um, and Big Sludge made it out alive, so everything was fine. <laughs> <laughs> I will not apologize. Um, my Gobot Astartes is delightful <laughs> so just this cast of characters who i had to look up a lot of people because i could kind of tell with a lot of them that i was like oh this person's a named person and didn't even have to be that familiar with it it was great that's good so super happy i read it so would you is this a book you'd recommend um if you like something if you're looking for something that's funny and not taking itself very seriously and if you liked that Shroud of Night style, just what is going on? The over um, the top. Yeah, it reminded me of a movie that I... So it'll depend a lot on how you felt about a movie called Smoking Aces. Um, I actually defend that movie. The first three quarters of it is quite good. It does fall apart completely in the end. Oh, but so like a Mel Brooks movie. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> um, yeah, it... Uh, if you're into that kind of just, oh my god, and then this guy shows up with a gun, I do recommend it. Uh, definitely not for everyone, but I'm now a huge Necromunda fan. <laughs> and additionally, a Josh Reynolds fan. If you like, if you really liked an Apocalypse, if you really liked a Matinum, I would recommend it because Josh Reynolds is very good at taking despicable, awful people and making you love them. Like, let me make no make it clear, there are no redeeming qualities to any of these people. <laughs> Other so, than they're funny. So this is true. 
because uh, he did write the uh, Fulgrim Primarch novel. Right. And, uh, of course, this was all, like, you know, pre-heresy, way before any of that. Um, but I en really enjoyed how he portrayed Fulgrim's relationship with Fabulous Bill, a.k.a. Fabius Bile. Fabulous Bill. So, I mean, it was like the one of the few times that I actually enjoyed him being there because of how Fulgrim treated him. And it was basically that, you know, the baby's bow wanted to be left alone in his lab, talking to no one. And Fulgrim was just like, no. And he kept going down there and basically be like the little brother, like, hey, 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 you need to come up here. You need to come up here. Which was just yeah. delightful. Because like Fabius Bell, he's not going to go up against Fulgrim. Right. There's a lot of, that's another thing that I liked in this book. There's a lot of uneasy tension or mm -hmm. uneasy alliances where we're going to be friendly for now, but I'm fully expecting either you to try to shoot me in the head or for me to try to shoot you in the head. And he introduces, <laughs> like, the thing that's crazy, so keeping with my WWE references, um, Ric Flair was famous for saying in the 80s that, like, he had spilled more in liquor than most people made in a year. Josh Reynolds has introduced more awesome characters and then killed them 10 pages later than a lot of authors. <laughs> like, again, as I was saying, as I was reading this book, like, all these people be introduced and I'm like, oh, I love this person. And then, like, 10 pages later, they get killed. Um, Man, even George R. R. Martin, like, waits, like, you know, six books. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, exactly. Similarly, that guy has also written and killed off more awesome characters than a lot of writers have ever even created. Um, but <laughs> yes, like, there was a character who he reminded me of an old West preacher, but they talked about how his skin, he had suffered a burn, so his skin was pulled taut, so he basically looked like a skull. Mm. And he didn't have any lips. <laughs> but he just, this cool character, like you're reading about him and you're like, oh, this guy sounds so neat. Oh, never mind. He got killed. <laughs> what happened to him? Oh, him? He got devoured. <laughs> he did, actually, by a sump monster. <laughs> now that just sounds gross. So the sump pits are a thing. And they would talk about the sump pits. And I'm like, ew, ew. Ew. And no. there's things living in them. No. There's monsters. And at one point, they fall into the sump pit, and then they get out, and I'm just like, you haven't washed your hands. There's not enough showers to <laughs> no. get rid of that. Early on in the book, Cal talks about regretting taking his weekly shower before going on this one job, and I was just like... Weekly? Weekly. <laughs> These people are so gross. I love it. So, yes, I am. Uh, I was absolutely enthralled with this, and I do recommend picking it up when it comes out into paperback. I do recommend it if you're just kind of into that silly. If you're really interested to see how silly and fun the Warhammer 40k universe can be, I recommend it. <laughs> if you don't want to read Shroud of Night. Right, obviously. So, but that is what we read this uh, Christmas. I think it was a really good break. At least it was for me. It was nice just to kind of read what I wanted to catch up on. And mm -hmm. I just talked about how we're probably going to do the same thing in summer, even though we're going to be reading the same book. There's a omnibus that we wanted to be to read. It'll be perfect for summer vacation. 
I am disappointed I didn't get any Sons of Hydra read, though. And that's right. mainly, um, and actually, I blame Lorgar for a lot of that. Right. Um, yeah, because it was my turn for the Primarch Pilgrimage. Uh, I think I already missed a week because Lorgar was so big and there was six, and because I was so behind with the uh, Carrion Throne. And I finally finished it. Like, I think Christmas Eve or Christmas Day is when I finally finished that it. That sounds right. And and I basically said, I was like, look, this was a very well-written book. Uh, Gav Thorpe did these characters justice, but I hated everybody in this book. So it's very hard. It's hard to get through a book or a movie yeah. when you hate everybody. Yeah. No, I've um, there's a show on HBO that people are always recommending. They're always saying how good it is. It's called Succession. And... We watched three or four episodes and we just couldn't get through it because I hated every single character. Mm. And not like a Matinem or even Boyd Crowder from picking another TV show where it's a character that you love to hate. Right. Straight up hated. I mean, you hate them, but they're entertaining. Right. I uh, want all the bad things to happen to the people of succession and nobody but them. I just, everybody's doing a great job acting, but their characters are just deplorable and I can't. I just can't. You know what? I think that's kind of why I've fizzled out with Game of Thrones or the Ice Song of Ice and Fire. I should say with the books because like <laughs> all my favorite characters are dead. Well, except for Tyrion so far. Right. But I don't know if that's enough for me to care <laughs> to continue. Right. But we are. <laughs> so our last book that we read, I would like to point out was a Chris Rate book we read the carrion throne and we're now going to read lords of silence by chris Ray. nothing like sticking to a theme well i mean apparently it has a it's a lore changer like the yes. other books and it's supposed to be really really good i am so excited to read about plague monsters again just so delighted i am so excited because to read the... about plague monsters with carrie because the blood and fecal soup was not enough. Or how about from Andy Clark? A thousand bags of offal. Offal. Oh, God. Like, I actually dry heaved. That like, was didn't just like, bother me as much. I was just like, <laughs> just, I was because I was imagining the sound. Right. Oh, my God. And like, Chris, and then I'm like, how do you know what that sounds like, man? <laughs> That one didn't bother me as much. For, for me, the scene that nearly broke me was uh, in Shroud of Night when they're describing the Emperor's children when they're sitting on like the throne of flesh that's still li- alive and stuff. See, that didn't like, bother no, me no, at all. No, 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 no. <laughs> you can see where our trigger issues are here. But yes, yeah, so we will be reading Lords of uh, Lords of Silence. I almost said the Lords of Night. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole other thing. Uh, We'll be reading The Lords of Silence, and we will be back onto our regularly scheduled schedule of every two weeks. <laughs> yep, so let's bring in 2020. Hot should be, damn. Should be a good year. We already looked at like the what's releasing in January, so we're very excited about um, uh, Hollow Mountain. It's like the vaults. Yes. I almost called it Carrion Throne series, but no, it's the Vaults of Terra series. Uh, so Hollow Mountain, and then... Another new Andy Clark book called yes. uh, Fist of the Imperium. It deals with the Ultramarines. Oh, I, you know I'm getting that one in limited edition. If they come out with a limited edition of that, yes, all of it. 
And then shortly after, um, we have all kinds of cool stuff on our docket because we're doing Lords of Silence. We are reading uh, Mark, of, Mark Faith. of Faith, The Fist of the Imperium, Rites of Passage we're finally getting to, Hollow Mountain. We're going to start reading the Fabulous Bill series because Carrie needs her emperor's children. That will be... Don't if put Carrie, this on me. Okay. If Carrie is gagging her way through the Nurgle books, I will be gagging my way through the Slanesh books. So I do have to point out that I don't even own a copy of Fabulous Bill and you do. So yeah, I, do. I actually bought it when it like first released. Too. So that's why I have it in hardback. Yeah. You can't put this on me. And Josh Reynolds wrote that series. So I was like, oh, I'm not reading Fabulous Bill. Oh, wait. Oh, yes, we will read us some fabulous bill. Actually, uh, I know that there's a world eater in it, so I'm on board. Anyways, you want to take us out, Carrie? Well, I was about to say, so uh, I, you know, I already said I was hijacked by an ad, you know, in uh, Blood of Sanguinius. But when I turn to the next page, you know, it always has like the more from that faction. It's like more from Blood Angels. I'm like, read it, read it, read it. What? Josh Reynolds wrote a book? And yes, I've ordered it. <laughs> we are unabashed fangirls. Anyways, come at me, bro. (laughs) You want to take us out, Carrie? Well, I sure For our first podcast of 2020? I know, first podcast of 2020. So you've listened to the Warhammer 40k Book Club episode regarding what we read on our Christmas vacation. I enjoyed myself. It sounds like Jen enjoyed herself reading whatever we wanted to read. Uh, But be sure to join us for our next book, Lords of Silence by Chris Raitt. Please note we are an unofficial book club and not affiliated with the Black Library or any of its affiliates. You can find both the vidcast and podcast on our website, wh40kbookclub.com. If you like this episode, please like, subscribe, give a review, and all those things to the vidcast on YouTube or the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. Our site also has articles about our adventures and reading other Warhammer 40k books and short stories outside of the book club books. So please stay a while and read from a crag. Good night, everybody. Good night. Oh, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year.